All right, welcome, folks, to uh, On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. It is day three of the Rooster Road Trip, and if you can hear it in my voice, it's been the best day so far. We have had just a terrific first day experience in in the state of Nebraska, and we're going to talk through the recap, but first... Um, we're going we're gonna to talk with Marissa Jensen, who was the featured blog for today's Rooster Road Trip, and you can find it at roosterroadtrip.org. Uh, so Marissa joins us. We also have Jared Burke, a member of our National Board of Directors who lives an hour away and came for the tailgate party tonight, the pheasant tailgate party. So uh, thank you for making the drive. You bet. Glad to be here. And uh, you're a veteran of the Rooster Road Trip, so we'll, we'll go down that road. Okay. And then, obviously, my uh, shotgun co-host, Andrew Vavra, joins me with the full recap of the day, as well as Instagram questions. People love it. Good. That's great to hear. Um, all right. So, first, Marissa, um, I, let, let me start. I'm going to pick out the, the third paragraph in your blog, because I think it, uh, it it's really touching and it opens the door to the conversation. All right. And reading from your blog, I, rec- I can recall the exact moment I stepped into a frost-encrusted tall grass par- prairie and the overwhelming feeling of awe, awe I experienced. This section of public land available for anyone to explore. This is how I found my uplands. I set out to follow my bird dog, and I have never once looked back. And if that doesn't capture you, I don't know what does, but that should hook you to read the entirety of the blog. Tell us about that first experience um, and, and how, what, what you remember of it, I think it's five years ago now, right? Or is it four Four. Okay. Yes. Four years. Yep. Four. Well, four and a half ish. But um, yeah, I, it was just you know it was something that I wanted to do for over a year, and I I just struggled to kind of find someone to take me. And um, it was it was cold day. It was um, actually drizzling. The we you know it was the middle of winter, so there was frost on everything and. It was cold, it was wet, it was kind of miserable, but at the same time, it was just the most incredible experience. I have always been an outdoor enthusiast. Uh, my entire life has been, you know, hiking, camping, rock climbing, kayaking. If it's outdoors, you know, I was all in. And to see some of these places that I never knew even existed mm. um, was just mind boggling. <laughs> you know, in, in Nebraska alone, I mean, it's just the, the amount of public access that I never stepped foot in before hunting is just incredible. And we, before we turned on the uh, recording equipment, Jared said, Hey, I never even knew the Cimarron existed. Oh, maybe I've heard of it. Right. Right. I mean, absolutely. No, I, once I got to reading a little bit about it, absolutely. I knew, I thought I'd heard it before, but man, I didn't know they had bird hunting there. Yeah. So, yeah. And and that's the lens, which, you know, we kind of adventure and explore the world and learn new things. And that was, kind of eye-opening to it you. was yes it was absolutely incredible so i and you know the bird dogs were were a big component you know being able to spend time outdoors with my best friend you know which yeah. is a lot of the times a four-legged dog so <laughs> um it just 
there's really nothing like it. And I really wanted to, I, I, I say this and, you know, people say things like this all the time, but I really feel like it, it resonates with me. It, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I just get really excited to share that passion with others. And speaking of changing your life, your career is on a completely different trajectory. Trajectory. Let yes. me enunciate. Right? <laughs> it's all right. Um, than it was probably four years ago. You wrote um, the title of your blog, Women on the Wing and the Future of Upland Hunting. Yes. So Women on the Wing, explain Women on the Wing to our listeners. Yeah, so it's an initiative within our organization um, that started last year, but really it started, um, you know, much longer before that um, in different states with different, you know, individuals spending time in the uplands, encouraging others, developing programs to mentor more women. And we, you know, really just kind of provided some, you know, guidelines and created this initiative because we felt like there was the need to, you know, really just diversify um, the audience of the uplands, the audience of, you know, our, our, our membership and those who care about public access and, um, we really don't care who you are. We want you involved. We want you passionate about it. Um, and so it's it's our way to kind of provide that support. And I know it has um, four different components the initiative does. So in, in brief description, what are each of those four? Yeah, so our conservation outreach program is um, dedicated to individuals who want to, who may own um, their own land and may and want to um, improve wildlife habitat on the land that they own. Uh, maybe they're interested in um, prescribed fire. I mean, there's a lot of different components mm-hmm. there. We work with a lot of different partners within all of our programs and um, a lot with our, our conservation outreach. We have our um, women, wine, and wild game social events. So those are just a really great way to get like-minded individuals together, talk about the correlation between hunting and conservation funding, um, you know, allow people to have the opportunity to eat wild game, to, you know, try it out. Um, cause once you, once you try it, you obviously fall in love with it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and the next one I'll, I'll talk about is our R3. So recruit, retain, and reactivate, um, Right now, I think the percentage of women upland or women hunters in general is around 11 percent, mm. um, but it's rapidly growing. It's the the fastest growing demographic, uh, but they're also the quickest to leave because there's um, not enough social support. Mm. Um, so the women wine and wild game events can kind of help provide some of that social support. We also have women on the wing chapters, which also serve in that role. And so that's an opportunity. It, it, they function the same exact way as our traditional um, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever chapters. Um, it's just a another opportunity for like, like-minded individuals to get mm. together, um, to make conservation decisions in their community, and um, just really, you know, w- whatever drives them to make a difference. Um, and then, like I said, with the Recruit, Retain, Reactivate, we have... A lot of different opportunities with learn to hunt events and wing shooting events just to get more women comfortable and get them outside and, you know, get them into the uplands. Probably the biggest women on the wing event um, yet in our history is going to happen at Pheasant Fest, right? That's correct. Yes. And it's a women wine and wild game. So if you like wine and wild game, you should (laughs) attend. 
Uh, I think everybody should like wine and wine. Well, that was my question. Is it open to everybody? It is open to everybody, um, which is, which is a good, uh, you know, note to make that that yes, we will be serving um, alcohol, but it's not a 21 and over Mm -hmm. required event. We'd love to have, I think we had questions from a mother who wanted to bring her daughter. Absolutely. What about um, guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think you know it's definitely going to be a women-led event, mm-hmm. um, but um, it, why not? Yeah. So it, that's um, Saturday, uh, February fifteenth, and correct. that's a kind of a lunch event, right? Yep, that's correct. And you can find that at pheasantfest.org. Tickets are available now; they are on sale. You've got a lineup of speakers starting to form. Yes, but it's very secret. Okay. <laughs> well, we, we won't put you on the spot there. We'll reveal it when we're ready. So you talked about um, part of the initiative is diversifying the audience. And I know just from what I've seen in the five hours since we, we posted this blog on all of our social media channels, there's been a wide array of folks that have commented and reached out Give us a flavor of some of the feedback you've gotten already. Yeah. So I've actually received a couple emails that are just, it's just really great to hear from different individuals. Um, You know, several of them were women who felt like the story resonated with them. They, um, you know, could relate to it because that's how they came to the uplands or that's the age that they did. Or, um, you know, even, even gentlemen just talking about, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm different and mm-hmm. I appreciate the talk of diversity. And so it's, it's really inspiring to get those comments and know that you're reaching people who maybe didn't feel like they fit in per se. Um, so Cause we got, after we did the, um, falling in love with bird hunting as an adult podcast, which was, Oh, September-ish, I think. Yes, I think so. Um, We got a ton of response, you and I both did, from um, folks of different ethnic ethnic backgrounds. Yeah. You know, as many as, you know, not just women, but, you know, a lot of of folks from across the country that just haven't been exposed to bird hunting. And that was really interesting to see. Yeah, and it's exciting to me. I mean, when we talk about... Um, R3, and, and that's something I'm really passionate about. It, it's mm-hmm. exciting to know that there's just so many individuals who are just getting started and interested, and it's like, yeah, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go. I'll, we'll love to show you, and we'd love to welcome you with open arms. And um, you, you talked about Reese in your blog as being kind of the conduit for you yes. getting an interpreter bird hunting. Um, you're on the rooster road trip. How's Reese doing for you? <laughs> We, it's it's been good and bad. <laughs> I'd love to say it's all been good, but let's be honest. <laughs> well, and I'm not putting on your spot because uh, Andrew, how's Baxter been for you? He's been great. Yeah. <laughs> Liar. He's been good and bad. No, Every dog's no, it, been good and bad. Right? I, 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 I think we've all we've all looked at each other at different moments uh, th- throughout you know this trip and recognized a little bit of frustration. I know in our, in our the other hunters' faces as they're trying to get their dog to work more over them versus 100 yards down the line. Yep. And but everybody's dogs are doing fantastic. But you kind of have this unrealistic ideal of what you want your dog to do, even though everyone else sees your dog as contributing and finding birds. Oh, he, he or she is great. But in the back of your mind, you're just like, oh, you little, uh, get over here. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had that same silent meltdown yesterday in the, the veteran's spot. Uh, and you... <laughs> You turned to me and said, she's been looking for you for five minutes, Bob. <laughs> I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you guys heard I was I was toning her. I wasn't 
sending any electricity, but I was, cause she, I knew she was down. I could see her on the, on the Garmin, right? I could see that she's down there, but, and she was quartering back and forth doing what she wanted. But I, I like having my own eyes on her <laughs> and I was beeping her cause when I hunt in alone, which is a lot uh, compared to the group this size, you know, she kind of stays out in, you know, a normal perimeter for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't happening the way I wanted it to yesterday. I don't think it was happening for any of I us know. yesterday. I know. I know. <laughs> so it's been pretty fun. But yeah, every dog has had moments of just shining. Yes. And um, that's been fun too because you took out your adopted pup. Yeah. Was it... Was it t- this morning that you got the point? Yes. Um, so she didn't. She didn't fully point. Um, but yeah, she it's it's podcast. Nobody <laughs> sees it. Point rock, rock solid. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> she held that thing for thirty minutes, and no, but yeah. um, so she's seven months old. She, uh, let's see, three weeks ago or so, um, maybe four. No, three weeks ago, had her very first introduction to birds. She'd never had any bird dog training. Um, so she's really along for socialization, but we, we had some downtime. So we decided to just kind of, you know, take her out into a field and let her stretch her legs and run around a little bit. And she was, was kind of just going off and we were trying to get her to go a different direction. And the next thing we know, there's big rooster that gets <laughs> up. And unfortunately there was a, a random dog that was running towards us at the same time and distracted us. So random dog, not from our group. No, no. Yeah. It, it was a neighbor, a farm. farm dog. Yep. And uh, that dog followed us the whole time. Right? <laughs> yeah. well, but, um, no, she was, she did great. I'm, I'm really excited for her. Yeah. Yeti which is the name of yes. your young dog is a really, really fine looking short hair. She's, Thank you. Yeah. She's getting You're a little good. biased, I, but <laughs> no one, no one thinks that no. <laughs> maybe a little, there's an Instagram question that pertains to that, but I'll wait. Oh, oh I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. I knew that would happen sooner or later. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like short hair. <laughs> I uh, do too. I have two yeah. now. So. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm thrilled to see the reaction to your blog. Um, you know, it's just been really, really encouraging to see how much excitement, not just from new hunters. Like, I, you know, I posted on my personal Facebook page and people that are in the industry, um, members of our board of directors, um, friends that, you know, people that have been bird hunting since they were knee high to a toadstool, right? They, they were really, really moved by your words and the excitement around this initiative within the organization. So um, I personally can't see where you take it. Can't be more excited to see where you take this. You know, I love that you're, you're making it, you know, it's all sort of normalized, right? It's right. And we've talked about that. Give a little bit of your philosophy from that. perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just women want to be in this space just like anybody else. And, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, oh, this, this woman was able to go and, and do this. It's just like, no, we're just, we're just a person like anybody else. Right. And, um, we all have different expectations. We all have different limits. Um, we all have different, you know, desires when we're in the field, what we consider an accomplishment. Um, and that's just speaking for everyone in general, not even gender specific. So I think that we, we, 
we just want to be able to normalize the look of women in the outdoors. We want to normalize the feel that they have when they're in the outdoors um, and that they deserve to be in that space just like everybody else. Yeah. Well, it was a really, really fun to read blog. And Thank it, you. I'd love to see the, uh, the reaction. Yeah. Mr. Burke. Yes, sir. Uh, Jared Burke, you've been on the National Board of Directors for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever going on about a year, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, about pushing two now. Oh, yeah, okay. Pushing two. Pushing so. two. Yeah. Before that, you were part of the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. Yeah. And early on in the Rooster Road Trip, uh, Nebraska Game and Parks Commission was a sponsor for this event. Right. And as part of that sponsorship, they always volunteered you i don't know whether that was <laughs> that was uh by design or not but uh they always volunteered you and said we'd like uh we'd like jared to, to join you if you're able Will, willing volunteer and and we we always had a great time mm -hmm. you know it didn't feel awkward at all you uh -huh. came uh authentically you brought your son logan uh, along you brought your gordon setters and you jumped in with both feet and it felt like kind of a normal hunting trip yeah. um and you kept coming back yeah and you're not hunting with us unless you cancel your appointment tomorrow, yeah, which you're welcome I'm to. I'm having a hard time with that. <laughs> uh, and you're not, you're not slated to hunt with us yet. Right. But you made this trip to hang out as we filmed some, some cooking tonight right. from a tailgate um, to reconnect with some friendships and because you feel pretty strongly about Rooster Road Trip. Tell me what you feel strongly about and why. Well, it's just it's it's just an awesome event. I mean, when you first started doing it, you were doing five states in five days. I don't know if you that was that, crazy talk. That, yeah. that, was, that was crazy talk. We, huh? Andrew and I <laughs> talked about that on the well, that was the preview episode where I think you said that just wasn't safe. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. I'm just trying to erase those moments he's, in my memory. He's matured a lot over yeah. the last ten years. I, you know? By that he means I've grayed. Yeah. <laughs> me, me too. Lost a little hair, so. but but absolutely, you know, it's uh, you. You, you, you were pushing hard. You were doing five, trying to hit five states, promote pheasant hunting, and promote pheasants forever, you know, in five different states. And that's a lot of work, you know. I, I see behind the scenes, which a lot of people don't get to see, you know, up at 5.30 in the morning, you know. And the one time we hunted, it was, I don't know how cold that was. Got, I, I don't even know it was so cold, you know. And you endure a lot of conditions, and then you're, you're editing film, and you're, you're here at 7.30, 8 o'clock at night now doing a podcast, you know. And it's, it looks like a hunt, but it's way more than a hunt. And there's a lot of things going on beyond behind the scenes that people don't have any realize. So I have a lot of respect for the amount of work that you guys put into this and the amount of passion that you have for it. I mean, I'm a passionate bird hunter, and you guys are as passionate as they come. And if you're willing to go out and do that kind of work and do those kind of things in order to make this event happen, you know, and, and get people involved across the country because people follow you like crazy, as I'm sure you <laughs> well know. You know, and it comes on, you know, and people, people in Nebraska, you know, of course we want you to come to Nebraska every time that we can get you here. And uh, we enjoy having Pheasants Forever and now being on the board of directors, it's, uh, it's awesome to be a part of it. So I, I just think it does an awesome job of relaying the Pheasants Forever message, you know, with a Habitat organization. But part of that Habitat deal is going out and doing what you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason why we promote that Habitat. We want to have Habitat. We all love pheasants, but we love to hunt them too, you know, and quail is the same way. We want to hunt quail as well. Obviously, without the Habitat, we're not going to have that. But I think it's sometimes we need to stop and smell the roses a little bit, you know, and and uh, take a little benefit of what our hard work has been and, and go out and, uh, and do some of that. And, and where you guys all hunt public land, I think that's just awesome. And you go out and harvest birds. I mean, we're, we're here in Nebraska now on the 5th, 6th of the December, 
and you're, you're going out on public ground mm-hmm. that's probably been hunted many, many times. And I don't think this is necessarily unique to Nebraska. I think it's, a, you know, in a lot of places around the country, going out and doing it on public land and proving to people that you can go out there and you can find pheasants on public land and kill them yet in December, you know, six weeks, you know, almost two months from when pheasant season actually opened. So the fact that you can still do that, you know, is just awesome. And, you know, like you were talking about the bird dogs earlier and, and that's just that's just part of the deal as well, having good bird dogs along. And I grew up hunting pheasants. I hunted pheasants for a long time before I even owned a dog. I can take you to the exact spot where I shot my very first rooster. I don't know how old I was, but I know it was just a single shot 410. <laughs> you know? But that's the thing about pheasant hunting is people have those memories of mm-hmm. pheasant hunting. And I've asked a lot of people over the years, what is it about pheasant hunting? What, what is it that makes you want to hunt pheasants? Why, is, why are so people so passionate about that? Nobody has the same answer. Really? Yeah, it, it varies from the king of the game birds. Or when that bird flushes up, it's, it's just that, you know, that powerful, you know, mm-hmm. it, they're the most beautiful birds, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just ranges and ranges and ranges from the amount of people as to why they want a pheasant hunt. You know, some of it's dog work, and it just goes on and on and on. But the, the work you guys do to promote this, promote pheasants forever and pheasant hunting, you know, in the, in the pheasant states is just outstanding. And there's a ton of work that goes into it that people don't see behind the scenes. Why pheasants for you? Why pheasants for me? Um... I just love to wing shoot. I think they're the most difficult bird there is in order to get close enough to get a shot at. Hmm. They are the wiliest bird. They can. They have multiple ways to escape. I don't care whether you hunt with dogs or not. You know, they may flush wild. They may run. They may sit tight. You know, they have multiple ways to escape. I, I think they're one of the smartest animals there is out there to hunt. <laughs> and, and when you when you actually get one of them in the bag, you've really accomplished something. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just a uh, I almost classify it sometimes as a love-hate thing with them because sometimes I go out and I have to be a little mad at them to hunt them, you know, because it's work, you know, and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get away from me. And sometimes, you know, it's almost a love-hate deal with them because I just love it so much. But it's just, uh, they're just a, such a smart bird. So, you know, as I started coming here through the rooster road trip and we started coming hunting here in 2010, right 2010 and we at the time we were hunting crp map conservation Mm -hmm. reserve program managed access Mm -hmm. program right right and that program the name has changed to open fields and waters and you you were on the commission during that time you know i've said on this podcast many times that for my money it's the best public access program built on top of private lands that I've ever experienced uh, as a bird hunter. Um, there's a lot of terrific ones out there, mm-hmm. but the the component where they improve the habitat before they add the access right. to it in, in Nebraska is, it, it just makes uh, some of the stuff we walked today, you know, it had winter cover, it had nesting cover. It, I mean, it was, it was gnarly. It, it, well, it looks professionally manicured yeah. and not only manicured for hunters, but manicured for the birds. Right. Like if you dissect the properties that we walk, like there's a little bit of everything and there are places specifically basically created for them to escape. Right. So there are still birds out there in mid December. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not all, you know, hunted and, and too educated after the, the, the first right. week, you know, of the season. Um, and so it's just amazing. It's yeah, just it, ideal. It, so what's the history there that you remember over, you know, that it, I know it's right. a little bit older than 10 right. years, you know, going back, um, of course, you talk about the CRP map program, and it was just CRP at one time, you know, and it had to be CRP'd and rolled in. And I don't, the payment at the time wasn't overly good, but through working with some different partners, you know, some, some Pitt, Pittman Robinson money, I know some Pheasants Forever money has been involved in it. Um, a lot of partners came together and, and increased the, 
for lack of a better word, the rental payment in yeah. order to get landowners involved in the program. You know, so then we started to expand the program into the small grain fields. You know, a lot of tall wheat stubble. Wheat stubble had to be a certain height in order to be accepted in the program. Milo stubble, you know, and and uh, a lot of people probably don't think you can go out there and kill birds in those type of places, but you can. So um, what you said about the quality of the habitat is that the quality of the habitat has to be there before it gets accepted in the program. We're not just looking for a million acres or two million acres. We don't. We want the best acres. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want just acres. And uh, we're looking for the best acres, and CRP has fit in right well. And, and you're talking about the quality of the CRP. I think that goes back to um, landowners, of course, have to be involved in it first. And we have a lot of landowners, especially in this part of the state, that are willing to be involved in the program. But then the next step is to have somebody that go out there and get the right stuff in that land. And that's where our farm bill biologists, you know, working with pheasants forever, you know, and, um, and Nebraska Game Parks Commission is involved in that as well. Having somebody go out there to get that right type of habitat on the land that provides the type of things you guys were just talking about, yeah. that's why the habitat is good because we have professionals out there um, available to manage that. You know, I'm a landowner myself, and we've put a lot of different type of habitat projects in, and I've had the ability to, um, you know, be involved in some of those things, and I have a pretty good idea what it takes now. I did not at the time when I started, and a lot of landowners are that way. And they help reduce the paperwork. You go into the FSA offices and you try to sign up on these programs and the paperwork is astounding. And you start looking at it and you're like, I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. These farm bill biologists are helping us work through those programs, you know, and they're basically bringing it to you and say, okay, sign here. So the landowner basically signs their name. All the all the management practices are all in there already and stuff like that. Help them get their seed in line, you know, help them line up a drill or help them line up somebody even to drill it in a lot of places, you know. And... Um, that's why the hab- that's why the quality of the habitat is there, and that represents three hundred and twenty five thousand acres of public access in the state of Nebraska, and we're here in the the southwest corner of the state, where I believe it's something on the magnitude of thirty percent of those a- acres are down here in the southwest, right. where you've got uh, a lot of pheasants, mm-hmm. pretty good quail numbers, right. and uh, now you have a fair amount of public access. Right. You know, and we've talked to, you know, we just talked to a gentleman out in the parking lot a little bit ago that's, um, you know, he's a non-resident, you know, coming to Nebraska, and he says he comes every week to hunt pheasants from, from out of state and comes to southwest part of the state because it's the best there is. Yeah, you know? So that <laughs> that is a great story. So we're out cooking, mm-hmm. right? You're right. Gentleman from Boulder, Colorado, right. retired, yep. great shape, mm-hmm. comes here every Wednesday because, what did he say? Because he, he, he's got plenty of place to hunt, and he can kill birds. And he, and he, gives, <laughs> he gives the fields two days to rest right. after the weekend, right? right? So he drives out Wednesday, hunts Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then goes home and lets it, all the weekend warriors like the rest of us pound. <laughs> That's he, a guy who's got to figure it out. He has got right? it, man. <laughs> he has absolutely got to figure I want to be that guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. So, yeah, that, those stories like that, and, and there are tons of stories out there like that. It's just nice yeah. to get to hear one now and, now and again, and, and it was very complimentary of Pheasants Forever, you know, and, and uh, all the work that's done by Pheasants Forever. So it's, uh, it's, it's just nice to hear those things. So you haven't hunted with <clears throat> us on this trip, but you have three rooster road trips under your belt. Yep. Um, is there a memory that jumps out? Is there some, um, you know, maybe a, a story, a blog? Uh, what do you remember of those three years as being your favorite uh, thing that you reminisce about Rooster Road Trip? Well, there's probably a couple different things. The one that pops always pops into my mind first is the one we hunted. It might have been the last one we hunted that was so cold. Okay. And, and we hunted here. We were in McCook, Nebraska tonight, and we hunted out, out west of McCook, Nebraska, around south of Trenton, on some of those CRP fields out in there. And it was, it was cold without a doubt. 
and we harvested, we, we hunted cover that was pretty heavy, and we got birds on point. We harvested, you know, a good number of birds out there doing that as well. Um, being able to do it with my son, you know, has been something that's been, been enjoyable for me as well, and he's hunted with me since he's been old enough pretty much to go out and do it, even when, before he could hunt, and uh, so it's been nice to have to have that along too, but um, I think just the people, to be completely honest with you, whether it's, you know, the Pheasants Forever people or the people we meet out in the field, you know, some of the different uh, wildlife professionals that have hunted with us, um, when it comes right down to it, it's the people that make mm-hmm. this whole thing go, and uh, there's always memories of the of the dog on point and the rooster flushing, you know, or doing it with my son. Those are all great memories. But the people we've been involved with to have a chance to do it with, that's what keeps bringing me back. Yeah. It's just good people. And I think we took a photo at the end <laughs> right. of that hunt, you and your son. Right. And that was probably, like we said, maybe seven years ago or so. Mm-hmm. That photo is yeah. one of the most used it's, images it's, in Nebraska. It's been around the block a few times, <laughs> <laughs> without a doubt. Was that a, the cover of the Atlas one year? I don't know if it was. It was been, we should probably look into that. I'm not sure it's been on the cover yet. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it's been on a lot of publications, and that's, you know, that, that's that's neither here nor there. It's yeah. nice that we were able to contribute to that, and it's, it's fun to see it. And every time I look at that picture, it doesn't look like it, but it was cold yeah. that day. And I look at that, and I can feel that cold yet. But, uh, well, the reason I think of that photo is like, Logan, in my mind, will be 16 forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, that right. it's, yeah. it's immortalized look because I haven't seen Logan right. since that hunt. Yeah. But, you know, he will always be that 16-year-old right. guy, crack shot, yeah. just loving the outdoors. And right. I think he, he came, he shot a buck the night before and then came pheasant hunting yep. with us, and he just had the biggest smile. Right. He was never over the, um, it didn't bother him to miss school on those days for some reason. Really? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It was a little odd that he didn't seem to ever mind. I said, you know, we're... We can go hunt with these guys. You're probably going to have to miss a day of school. Is that going to be okay? And it never really seemed to bother him. He had to miss a day <laughs> And of you're a teacher, that. too. No, I'm a teacher, too. <laughs> so that was, a, you know, that was What do you teach, things. by the way? I'm a technology coordinator is what I do. Oh, I wow. work with the computer systems so, but, uh, in the school. So, so if we have audio problems with our podcast, um, can we call you? No. I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> I told you earlier I've done a little radio, but this would be my first podcast. So, but, uh, it was good in the people. And the other thing I, other thing I do remember, I don't know which one, which one this was. Which which hunt it was, but and I think it was was it maybe Trammel retrieved that bird that you shot that was way way out there, and we looked for it for a long long time, looked and looked and looked, and you were pretty confident that if we just waited long enough, he'd bring that bird back, and he did, and that memory sticks out of my brain yeah, as well. Yeah, that was a pretty proud moment because I had I was watching Trammel on my Garmin Alpha, right. mm-hmm. and I could see her icon running away from us, mm-hmm. and uh, you know she's two hundred yards. Right. And then stops, and you guys are like, "Should we go after?" Her? And like, just wait. Mm-hmm. Let me let me see what's going on here. And then 180, 160, 100, mm-hmm. and there she comes over the hill with that bird in her bird mouth. Bird in her mouth. And, uh, that was pretty fun. Not to mention, it was an exceptionally good shot to start out with. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> she had to run a long way to save my bacon. <laughs> she got used to doing that over the years. Andrews witnessed that too. <laughs> It happens. It keeps the dogs in shape. Yeah. Then, then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we're talking about the cold weather, and there was one of the one of the years we hunted it was fairly warm. We were struggling to put some birds up, and I know we went up north of Medicine Creek Reservoir, and mm. we got on a few pheasants and some nice coveys of quail, quail up yeah. there as well. So, you know, we've had some good quail hunts. Not only is it the rooster road trip, you know, we, you know, there's a lot of quail been harvested over the time. Yeah, too. Medicine Creek has been. I'm hot spotting. Again. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the best places I've ever hunted quail. Yeah, yeah it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of property. It's a nice, nice recreation area and uh, public land. Public land. Yep. Yep. All right. Speaking of public land, that's what we did today, Andrew. 
We went out. Oh, are we still doing this? <clears throat> we went out and in, in, in uh, day three, we got up early and we had some, as always happens on the road trip, some technical difficulty. I don't know if I'd say always. I mean, it's inevitable. <laughs> but I mean, we, 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 can, we can, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit and let people know like some of the, the headaches we, we deal with. Um, so generally speaking, uh, Jake is up until the late hours of the night editing the recap video that people will watch the next day. Uh, we, we got in pretty late last night. We had a lot to do. He didn't get done with that video until after uh, 1 a.m. And so generally when he's done with the video, then he'll take the, the podcast audio. So the audio you're listening to right now you know, at home or in your truck, he'll then upload that and let that upload throughout the night when he goes to bed. So that's... Because it's a big file. It's a huge file. It just takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's worked flawlessly for, for, <laughs> for, for as long as we've been doing this, but... Uh, we woke up in the morning at, at 6 a.m. and and sure enough that the file wasn't uploaded. We're like, oh no, here here we go. And so he he tried it, to, he tried to do it again. It kept on stalling, kept on stalling. And the issue is, this is the first morning of the trip where we haven't been in the truck and leaving the parking lot right on time. Mm-hmm. So we we've been you know, executing this like a well-oiled machine. It's been it's been fantastic. My Type A personality loves it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, there's a real peek behind yeah, it. Right? <laughs> Are you picking up on that? Um, so. No, we we were stuck in the lobby of the, the hotel for an hour, almost hour and a half, just staring at Jake's computer as he was on the phone with our IT help, you know, back at HQ trying to figure out why does this keep, you know, shutting down. Because podcast day number two recap has a lifespan to it. <laughs> it, it, it does. It, it has to go up and it has to go up now. Um, so once we got all that put behind us, uh, we, we hit the road and we headed uh, east of McCook um, to... Uh, a place. Well, what I'll do is I'll summarize this hunt and our second hunt in, in, in like one way. Okay. Uh, we hunted places other people won't. Um, so anybody can look at a map, but people are oftentimes turned off by an extra amount of work to actually get to that spot. So if you can't just you know, pull up into a parking area or park on the side of the road and, and simply enter the field, they, they keep going. If you can't see over the hill and actually look at the habitat and what's beyond it, they generally just keep going. Um, so the, the properties we hunted had that factor to them in terms of either had to cut across corn, which we did twice, mm-hmm. or it was hiding behind a hill that you couldn't access with the vehicle. Yep. So we, we hiked a good quarter mile to our first field. And once, once we got there, we, we saw a lot of, a lot of kosher mm-hmm. and like, okay, this could be, you know, good thick cover. This, this could definitely. Because as a reminder, there was a big snowstorm here five days ago. Yeah, well, Thanksgiving time. Eight to ten inches. Yeah. And that kosher was the cat's meow for winter cover. Yeah, we, we, we figured they had to be hiding in there. Um, we also figured that the kosher would end. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> this is one of those moments where we should be videotaping our podcast because Andrew's eyes told the story. Um, yeah, the kosher never ended. It, it was it was super thick um, to the point where we're no more than fifty to hundred yards into, into our walk, and I, I'm almost laughing to myself like this is so ridiculous. And so I, I take out my my phone so I can you know add this to the Instagram story. Um, just so people can kind of visualize what we're going to talk about later. And as I do that, I snap a photo and a rooster just erupts at my feet. And so I, I <laughs> drop my phone to the ground. I, I throw up my gun and I just like haphazardly like just pull, like take a shot at it. I miss. 
I'm all just like all over the place. But luckily, Laura McGuire. Well, you got to also say, last night we spent a fair amount of time talking with Logan. How do you uh, take photos and hunt at the same time? <laughs> what he didn't say is sometimes those things happen. Yeah, because he was absolutely paralyzed too. Yeah. Because he was on his knees and he was taking photos, and this rooster gets up in front of both of you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the cameras got in the way, but Laura. Yep, she was she was just to my, just to my right, and you know the the bird just got got out a little ways in front of her, and she she dropped it one shot. And she was a dead eye oh, because yeah, she was. saved your bacon and Logan's <laughs> bacon. Yep, Logan, Logan and I were both too busy just trying to take photos to actually you know hunt, which is what we're supposed to be doing too. So, um, and that was an that was an uh, an awesome moment because uh, Laura revealed that that was the first pheasant she's probably shot in in five years. Yeah, um, living in Oklahoma, yep. primarily hunting quail, she doesn't have a lot of opportunities. And I'll direct folks to the Facebook photo gallery that we're. Uh, that we'll have posted tonight. Laura's smile holding this bird will break the internet. <laughs> oh, it was, it was such genuine enthusiasm. And, and the, the video we have of it too, it was, it was just contagious. It was one of those, that's why, that's why we do this. Like it, it was so fun just to see, uh, you know, her, her enjoyment in that yeah. moment. And that made me forget about the kosha for 30 seconds. <laughs> So whatever happened to wearing the cameras on your head? We did, <laughs> oh, yeah. that, we did that in a couple of Yeah, we used to have the Garmin verbs. <laughs> yep. So we wore those. So we've spanned so much technology in the road trip. <laughs> yeah, I remember it's just, Wilson? It's just, it's just silly. <laughs> we used to have this blue box called Wilson. Yep. And so we used that to, to bring in better cell coverage so we could hopefully upload something from the middle of nowhere. Um, so we, we've seen the gamut of technology, <laughs> but I finally put the XNA on. Uh, the GoPro and Garmin camera type things just because we realized it made the photos completely unusable once we got home because <laughs> everyone just kind of looked a little bit off and Logan got tired of Photoshopping every, everybody's forehead and right. all of our photos. Um, so we, we, we got back into the field and this coach is, I'm 6'4". It's over my head. I, I could have just like spread out my arms and fallen forward, but I would have been braced up in this stuff. <laughs> like it, it, it was just silly thick and that you couldn't see your dog, let alone mm. like three feet in front of you through some of it. And I, I know people are probably thinking I'm exaggerating. I'm not. No. Um, no. So. <laughs> Marissa and I would concur. That yeah, stuff was, I almost just sat down. Yeah. <laughs> it felt warm in there, yeah. which was the intent, right? A thermal cover. Oh, it, it was, there was sign If there was everywhere. more snow, it would have been fantastic i know it mm-hmm. like it, it, it's great thermal winter cover um but to plow through it and pretend like you know where your bird dog is i mean there was one point where i just had to break off from my group and i was like my dog's 150 yards behind us now and like nobody even questioned it they're all like uh-huh because mm-hmm. we can't see our dog <laughs> exactly but no sure enough you know i get over there i'm kind of huffing and puffing like now i have to walk even further through this stuff to like go like get him back on track and he kicked up a bird mm-hmm. you know i was like oh now I can't be mad at you. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but I want to be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you are type A. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I've come to terms with it. Yeah. I'm hoping my wife will too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was it, it was it was a fun walk um, just because w- we had to earn mm-hmm. that bird. Um, you know, in, in, my, in my book – I was like, they're not all going to be like that because as a group, we're all going to refuse to walk through that ever again. <laughs> so we, we earned whatever we can get yeah. you know, in, in, in front of us. Um, and so that was probably 
like a three-hour chunk. We, there was some good grass we walked mm-hmm. as well um, that was right next to the corn. Um, all the birds were getting up wild. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of been the, the theme of the road trip, but that it's also late season, and we knew that that's what we're getting into. Right. It's been – it's late season. It's um, been – terrific weather so the birds have been in a little bit thinner cover they've been out loafing and thinner they can cover see it coming where did esky point a hen on the way back to the truck yeah so we have video of that um yeah esky went on point in a pick cornfield i couldn't see it and it was it was buried there you know yeah, but yeah really thin cover out feeding in a pick cornfield that was enrolled in crp map that we just cut across to get back to our vehicles mm-hmm. so as as we we exited field one, we knew we had to go back and do our normal content upload and all of that. Um, and so fast forward through the non glamorous part of the the rooster road trip, we, we we hit the field to the the second most people won't go there um, you know, hunting area, um, and it started with us turning up a road. And as we've alluded to, the temperatures have risen after what was a pretty major snowstorm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Jared's nodding his head because he's like, I know where this is going. The the roads are, are super super greasy. <laughs> Like like a, yeah. a normal looking road, it could be flat as a pancake. Suddenly, you just kind of feel your your tail end just kind of swishing around, and it's like I don't know if I feel comfortable out here because we do have a rental with us as well. Mm-hmm. The the Apple Auto Ford F one fifty, I'll put that in four low. We'll we'll make it, but I also don't want to ruin locals' roads either and be mm-hmm. those out of state people tearing <laughs> stuff up because I know there's that because, because some of the roads are greasy. The road between us and this spot was chocolate mousse. Yep. Right. I mean, it, it it was pudding. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna upload a video of it. And we weren't the people that tore up this road trying to get up this hill that gets to the spot we went and hunted. But there was a very clear line where every single truck stopped. Like you just see this mishmash of tracks just trying to get up this hill, and all those tracks stopped at the same spot. And you could you could see people's footprints where they got out of the truck, and they're trying to like figure out like what to do. Um, so we parked. Again, almost a quarter mile away, uh, if mm-hmm. not longer, um, and trudged through some 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 cornfields to to get to this public property. And every other vehicle turned around mm-hmm. or left because there were no other footprints going forward yep. except ours. Exactly, because you couldn't see over the hill yet. They couldn't get to the top of it and actually see how gorgeous this property was. Um, it was all blue stem. There's a little bit of coach in it, but not enough to really upset. Some sunflowers. So lots of sunflowers. Um, but it was just one of those picturesque pheasant scenes that I've been looking forward to all trip. Hmm. Um, you know, as, as foreign as the Cimarron was, this is, this made my, my heart swell. <laughs> <laughs> and that might have to do with the fact that before we were even in the field, five birds got up. Yeah. And then you look in the distance and more birds got up. Yeah. And then as you start walking 200 yards away, more birds got up and you just know in the back of your mind, some are going to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to walk us through kind of that, how, how that went? Well, you know, we've, we've been teasing Chad Love, Quail Forever editor, on Instagram in particular. I'm having some all fun. All trip. <laughs> uh, because he's, he, he is reluctantly hunting pheasants because he just loves quail. And he keeps, we keep getting out of the truck. He's like, ah, I don't think I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to leave my dog, Leo. I'm going to leave my dog in the truck. You know, I'm, I'm going to save her for quail. Like she's just going to blow up birds. She's not a good pheasant though. <clears throat> oh, she's terrible. Yeah. He's just grumbling, you know, like Chad, just run your dog. Quit complaining. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it, you know, 
his dog runs bigger than the rest of ours. It is a, it's a big running athletic English setter. And, um, you know, it's been running a little bit bigger, but it hasn't been blowing up birds, but Chad is just super, uh, sensitive to, you know, fearing that the dog is going to blow up birds. Well, we get into this picture perfect habitat that Andrew has described and right in front of Marissa and I, um, Leo locks up pretty solid Mm -hmm. and then in a second like relocates and that then he's a statue right and we approach um in front and i hear a couple of shots and i I swing and and uh that bird falls and i i think um you and me and somebody else shot too and and uh um esky was there that's one thing leo doesn't do very much is retrieve <laughs> but so my dog was able to bring back that bird and i know i had a hand in in being one of the shooters that dropped that bird uh so i, I know you you were thinking the monkey was starting to be on my back as the only person that hadn't shot a pheasant so far i, I, had, a, I had a comment for you yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just kind of waiting for pheasant bob no hashtag bob is back to get on the board <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. And I had only shot once uh, up until that point. And I probably should have hit the bird that I had shot at earlier in the trip, a real high bird that had kind of ran. It, 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 we've all experienced that where that one golden bird flies across the entire line unscathed. I contributed to the unscathing of that one. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty good to know that uh, my BBs uh, still worked today. Yeah, it was it was a very very fun field. Um, we, we started out in the morning wearing thick coats, winter hats, mm. thicker gloves. Um, it was it was pretty cold, and by the time uh, you had shot your bird, sh- or shortly thereafter, I was down to a t-shirt. Yeah, um, and it was I, it probably low sixties today. It was, yeah, it was fifties for sure. Uh, but I, I remember turning to Jake and just kind of saying. You know, when I, I planned the, the late season long tails, I wasn't expecting t-shirt weather mm-hmm. in December Should have been, been here last Should have been here last week. I'm glad I wasn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can still see it. Uh, you'll see in some of the photos, right, the, the remnants of pretty significant yeah. snow. Yeah. And even though it's been 40s, 50s into this, I think into the 60s yeah. today, um, there's still uh, where it is drifted, yeah. there's still three yeah, four a, five six inches in places rolled in here monday night and pretty much snowed all day tuesday and and then a little bit of a skiff to snow again come wednesday night mm-hmm. so yeah we've had a good and then heavy winds you know friday and saturday so yeah. you're here at the right time if you're going to hunt t-shirts that is yeah well it, it's <laughs> been just glorious and that field was a field of dreams because you know we we turned and walked into the wind heading back towards the trucks and it was uh, every dog taking its turn to have a moment in the sun because we had points and we had beautiful flushes out of Aspen, the Labrador, and we had honors and backing and, uh, you know, encourage everybody to go on and see the video that comes out as a result of this. Jake's yeah. excited. Yeah, yeah we mean, had pre- probably the best footage so far is be my guess. Well, because when you think about it, all the birds that are really skittish already left. Mm-hmm. They, they left the second that they heard us. Yep. So the ones that are there were the tight holding ones. And even if they were hens, they were so fun for us and the dogs. There was one where I, I believe, so I'm way down on the other end of the line. And I, and I see Leo's tail just dink, mm-hmm. you know, straight up. And then I, I, I can see it was either Reese or Esky. I couldn't tell. Um, just like 
immediately honor that tail. Mm -hmm. And so we got the two dogs just keyed in on the same spot. And I'm watching this from 60 yards away. And, you know, I, I, I look at Logan. I'm like, Logan, check this out. Check this out. And so we all stop and we're just watching, you know, as, as you guys walk in. And sure enough, you know, this, this tight-sitting hen just erupts in front of the two dogs. And I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. And also Jake sees me watching. He's kind of looks over and extends his hand in the air and gives me, like, the rock on <laughs> horns. I'm like, yeah. All right. Well, we're doing this. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Like, we probably had – I don't know, maybe five really rock solid points walking up that hill and they were all hens. And that always happens, it doesn't it? You know, mm-hmm. it, they the ones that hold the tightest, you know, ninety percent of the time they're hens. But, but they're, they're they're still they're, so fun. Oh, they're and it's great to see the hens Absolutely. out there, right? Because yeah. you know that's gonna make for next hunting season yep. that much better. And but, I, I just couldn't resist myself because I was down at the end by, by Chad too and Leo is to my right. And Leo's clearly birdie, but and keeps locking up and relocating, and so it's it's a runner in front of him. I turned to Chad like, "Your dog's gonna pin this bird because it's a pheasant dog." <laughs> 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 and, and, and like you know, 15 seconds later, just dink, and the gun gets up. I'm like, "See, told you, you might not lock up like him, but your dog does." <laughs> um, but we were able. What's to pl- Chad's Instagram again? Dispatches. Dispatches from, from nowhere. <laughs> it's, uh, poor Chad. It's, no, not no, poor Chad. <laughs> Chad Chad's that's one of my favorite humans on the planet. So it's, I, I feel like I, I can say this as, as he's, he is an accomplished writer. Um, and when we hired him as a QF editor, I was absolutely excited. Um, uh, you know, he's been a part of the mouthful of uh, feathers mm-hmm. blog crew for a long time. And as, as someone who was coming up in uh, the Upland world, at the same time blogs were becoming popular and all this, he was part of the group of writers I idolized. Um, don't tell him I said that. Um, but yeah, you know, he's, he's a fantastic writer. He's got some extremely dry wit. I absolutely love it. So I love throwing it back. And that's, <laughs> if people are wondering, that's, that's what's yeah. going on. Here. You can, you know, look no further than the introductory blog to the Cimarron. Um, we've talked about it before, but please read that. It's a, it's a work of art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but shortly thereafter, uh, Jake was doing his job as a cameraman and also a bird dog. And uh, he was able to kick up a rooster right in front of him. When um, that crossed, you know, right to left, right in front of you and I, and and I took a shot, and I, I don't know if you. Did I did not. Else so did. you got it. Um, and uh, that was bird number two for, for that, that field, field. Three and, for the day. Yep, and uh, you know, I wasn't able to put it in the back of my game bag because I had Jake's coat, my coat, my sweater <laughs> from earlier. Uh, but luckily, you you carried it out for me. So, yeah, I, so I, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, we that that field was, uh, you know, it'll go down as one of the best in road trip memory. And yeah, not not for numbers of birds that we harvested, but in terms of the beauty of it and the number of birds we saw. And dog work, yeah, too. And dog was work really was so fun. fun. Yeah. 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 And then it was uh, 3.34-ish. Uh, by the time we got back to the truck, it was probably closer to 4. And that's where Big Bad Andrew said, no more fun for anyone. <laughs> time had, to go to time work. Time to go to work. Uh, we had to go to town, buy groceries because we wanted to – cook up those pheasants um, there's nothing better than you know a fresh tail tailgate yeah. meal right um so we we uh were lucky enough that laura um brought a recipe that she wanted to try and it was it's a one skillet recipe that's delicious um it's it's got white wine uh it's got lemon it's got butter it's got capers i had to figure out where do you find capers in a grocery <laughs> store because i didn't know um but 
It was great, <laughs> and uh, and the bl- and a blog will be posted that has that recipe. Yeah. Um, by the time, or shortly after, people are are listening to this probably. Um, so it was a fantastic way to to top off a, a great day. And thanks to Camp Chef for outfitting our uh, tailgate cooking needs along the tro- road it's, trip. It's so easy. I mean, they pack down to nothing. You just slide them out right next to your kennel, set them up in 30 seconds yeah. with a propane pounder, and, and you have the, the freshest wild game you can get. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it, you, th- you think about the culture around fishing, it's pretty standard to have shore lunches. Yeah. Right? You, you go out fishing for walleye, yeah. you have a shore lunch on, you know, on a rock for the mm-hmm. midday. And, uh, you know, it's, it never tastes better, right? Right, right out right. of the lake. Well, pheasant, you know, that's two hours out of the field. <sighs> Sign me up. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was an exquisite tailgate dinner that we had tonight. So encourage folks to go to Rooster Road Trip. Easy for me to say. Roosterroadtrip.org. And we'll have Laura's uh, blog about that recipe online in the coming days. Yep. All right, so it is the time in the uh, podcast where we go to Instagram for the questions, which I'm already a little bit of af- afraid of. <laughs> okay, here. Um, you're going to have to let me load them up really quick because, of course, it, it went away. Well, here. But it, I can ask you one that I had memorized. Yeah, th- was, that's the one I'm worried because about. Because it, it was that good. <laughs> When are you, Bob, when are you going to get a real dog that has a beard? (laughs) (laughs) I I can hear the accent in that one, too. (laughs) Is this Matt again? Uh, No no comment. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I do. That's my second uh, favorite breed. The the bearded breeds are some of my second favorites. I I just love short hairs, and that's just, you know, I've had some that I just have fallen in love with. Uh, but I, I've looked hard at, at Griff's. I think Griff's are, are really beautiful pups, great hunters, family dogs, um, you know, draughts, wire hairs. We, you know, our, our co-worker Brian Essling has a wonderful new wire hair in his family named Rainy, which I also love that name too. So I love dogs with beards. Griff's would be my choice, but uh, I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to die a short hair guy. Sorry. That's no, there's nothing to apologize. <laughs> that, that's fair. All right. I think this, this, this question is going to be for someone particular here. Cause three people in this room don't own land. Um, <laughs> Hi how, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> how do I make my pheasant land better for pheasants? Well, it's going to take hop habitat, obviously, you know, and I don't know if you have access to a, a, far, a pheasants forever farm bill biologist in their area. Now that's the place I would start. Um, Get hold of somebody like that, or maybe even just somebody in your area that's familiar with pheasants forever can point you in the right direction to get get started with the habitat first. Now that doesn't mean that you got to put all your ground in the habitat. I don't know how many how many acres of ground we're talking about, but you know if it's if it's a working farm, there are areas of your working farm that you can also put in habitat and, and still you know do a good job raising pheasants. But I'd, I'd just suggest get in touch with a habitat uh, wildlife specialist. You know, and if you got if you can find a farm bill a wildlife farm bill biologist um, in your area, that's the place I'd start. Or you know, if you know somebody on Pheasants Forever or somebody around the area that can point you in the right direction, you know, or just just start there because they, they know what they're doing. They can get you going in the right direction. So you can look at pheasantsforever.org, look under the Habitat tab, and you'll drop down and see Farm Bill Biologist, and there's a locator map where you can type in where you live, and it'll populate uh, the closest person for you. That's great advice. All right. 
This uh, follower s- said, heading to Nebraska tomorrow on a, in quotes, business trip, but I'm taking my Vigila. Any late season tips? Hmm. I guess I'll, I'll start out and say just be careful with the roads. The, the, the greasy back roads are, are the real deal. So if your business trip in, involves a, a small car, just don't get stuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great advice. Um, you have any advice, Marissa, for – you live here. Yeah, I I liked, you know, what Andrew was getting at earlier, you know, find the places that, um, you know, maybe aren't immediately off the road. But also, um, you know, we, we normally think of late season, like we talked about, as really cold and, you know, snow and wind and blizzards sometimes in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a lot of roosters running yep. because of how warm it is. So, you know, take that into consideration, too, if, you're, if your dog's on point, get up there. Um, because they're definitely running right now. Yeah, you read my mind. It's hunt them like they're late season from a ninja perspective. Be quiet, move quick, mm-hmm. but hunt them like an early season hunter in the little bit thinner cover than you might expect right now because it's uh, it's bluebird days and sunny and, and pretty warm. Exactly what you said. Yeah. All right, this person wants to know, how accessible are these areas that we're hunting to the places we're staying? I think they're getting that, like, how in the middle of nowhere are we, or is it possible to do more of a D- D- do-it-yourself trip? DIY. With, yeah, DIY, that's what I was going for. It's kind of late. <laughs> um, you know, without putting on 500 miles a day. So uh, I would say that we're not hunting within the metro city limits, but we're – for the most part, really, we haven't been traveling um, very far from the places we've been staying. Um, you know, it's, and I think that's a good point. The part of the reasons where we've been going, um, I think they're overlooked. There are some barriers, as you mentioned, barriers to getting to them, but some of them are closer than you might expect. And people, the locals feel natural about driving a little bit farther sometimes your own backyard is your best opportunity all right i'll uh i'll end i'll end with this one because i don't have the answer so i don't know if if, uh, someone else in this room does how do you get a dog to hold a bird softly and not chomp down on it is that i've heard lots of different things on that do you think that's genetic that's just the dog's trait or do you think that's trainable I think it's trainable, but I don't know how to do it. <laughs> I'm not alone. <laughs> I have three dogs, and they all handle it, handle a bird different. When I was trained with frozen quail, he had trouble with a, when it first got him on a bird that was a you know a live bird that we'd shot. He had trouble. He was so used just to grabbing those frozen quail, you know, and now it's something that's soft. Mm-hmm. And he he really struggled with how to handle that bird to even to pick it up. Now we've gotten past that. I have a younger Gordon Setter that was trained on quail. She'll bring pheasants back all day long. She must hate quail. She just jumps them, hmm. you know. So I don't have an answer for that, I guess, but I think every dog has a different trait. I think genetics can definitely play into it. Um, they they do make uh, different tools, like different um, – the Dock and Deadfall Trainer is Thank a great you. tool. Yes. <laughs> um, that kind of helps just create a naturally soft mouth. Um, another thing that is sometimes hard when you have a, a puppy or a younger dog that's really excited, and especially if you have multiple people in the house, but tug of war is definitely something you don't want to do if you're trained to, to train for a soft mouth that just encourages them to, to bite down hard and pull back. Um, so those are all really good tips. I, I've never done force fetching, um, but I, 
I so I don't know how that plays into it. Um, but there's, there's I have I have one dog that was forced broke to, to retrieve, and he does an exceptionally good job. He's soft mouth. It, it works really good. And uh, I'm not very good at that. I had a guy help me with it. But uh, I think at least one of my other dogs I have right now, I'm going to do the same thing with. I've had really good luck with him, and he'll retrieve a bird from as long away as he can find it. You know, <laughs> so um, very cool. Cool. That was the the. Uh, End of the Instagram questions, but we have two more podcasts to go. So please be sure to uh, hit us up on our Instagram page, and we'd be happy to to answer some more questions as we head uh, further east in Nebraska the next couple of days. We've got two more days of the Rooster Road Trip. And as I said earlier in the day after uh, a big, big pheasant flush, Nebraska n- never disappoints, and as a bird hunter, that that is held pretty darn true. Pre- uh, every time we've been along the Rooster Road trip in Nebraska, it's been like today. It's been pretty awesome. It's nothing but good memories. I know we're, we're dodging snowstorms and all that, yeah. but I'm okay with being lucky down here. <laughs> well, so uh, let me uh, uh, thank our sponsors for Rooster Road Trip um, again. We're in Nebraska, the Nebraska Game of Parks. Parks Commission is a sponsor of our visit here. Um, Irish Setter Boots, the official hunting boot of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's partner on the road trip. Camp Chef, helping us cook up dinner tonight. Federal Premium Ammunition, every shot we take on the road trip since 2010, always with Federal Premium Ammunition. Our pups, Staying safe in our vehicles in Rufflin Kennels, the official dog kennel of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Sound Gear, protecting our hearing, the official hearing protection of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Garmin, outfitting us and our dogs with all of our electronic devices and electronic training systems. Orca Coolers, we've got a few roosters chilling on ice in Orca Coolers, the official cooler of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Apple Autos, the uh, generous provider of the Rooster Road Trip truck and Browning, outfitting us with all the clothing and all the shotguns you see along the Rooster Road Trip. Thank you so much to these sponsors. They contribute thousands of dollars to this event, which goes directly into our Wildlife Habitat Conservation Mission. And uh, most importantly, thank you for following along. Please consider joining pheasants forever as a rooster road trip member you can check out the offer that we have at roosterroadtrip.org it includes a browning featherweight classic knife and sheath a browning cap light and your very own chance on a 12 gauge browning satori white lightning shotgun for two weeks only if you sign up for the pheasants forever offer on roosterroadtrip.org, you get a chance at that Browning Satori. And I'll tell you what, we have less than 100 entries right now. So think about that. $35 membership to Pheasants Forever gets you a year subscription to the Pheasants Forever Journal. It gets you a, a fin and feather knife, gets you a Browning cap light. You're contributing to a nonprofit conservation or organization who, for... Uh, since 1982 has put more than 90 cents on the dollar into the ground for wildlife habitat. We're a nonprofit charitable organization. It's tax deductible. We need your membership. It's $35. And right now, 
you also have a chance at a shotgun. Please, if you're listening to the podcast, if you're enjoying the content, we implore you to sign up and become a member of pheasantsforever.org. We need the Upland Nation to get on the Habitat train with us, be members, and get involved in conservation. Thank you very much for listening to Episode 3 of Rooster Road Trip 2019, late season, sort of, Long Tales edition. I'm Bob St. Pierre, and always follow the dog. <laughs>